Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Our eating habits say a lot about who we are, what we eat, when we eat, where we eat, and with whom we eat are just a few of the significant data points about our eating habits that tell us who we are. But this is not just true for us. This has been true for people since God first created Adam and Eve, however long ago that was. Eating plays a critical role in the stories of the Bible, in the theology of the Bible, and eating plays a critical role in the life of the church. You will recall all the way back in the first three chapters of Genesis that it was eating that got us partly into the problem of sin that we're in today. When God made Adam and Eve, He said to them, you may eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden except for one. Any tree, including the tree of life. But there's one tree from which you shall not eat, and that is the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Guess guess which one they chose to eat from. They stretched out their hand and they ate from the tree of the forbidden fruit, and the rest, as they say, is history. We read in the pages of Scripture that when God was leading His people Israel out of slavery in the land of Egypt, He told them to make bread without yeast and take it with them into the wilderness so that their food would not spoil. And that eating of unleavened bread became foundational in the life of Israel and it's even foundational in the life of the church today. When Israel disobeyed God, and he made them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, you will recall that food was a problem. Where do you get enough food to feed about a million people as they're wandering in the wilderness of Sinai? And the Bible tells us that every day God caused manna to come down from heaven so that the people could gather enough for each member of their household to eat, and God provided for them every day for 40 years. In the New Testament, the Gospels tell us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, He broke it and gave it to the disciples to eat, and He said, This is My body given for you. And that meal would form the foundation of one of the most significant acts of eating that we participate in today in the life of the church, and that is when we gather around this table and we take of the bread and we take of the cup and we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So important is eating in the Bible that it is referenced over 600 times and in all of these hundreds of stories and hundreds of references we find that they are not just told to us for any old reason but in fact they are told to us to teach us about the character and the nature of God. Many of those same stories about eating and food exist to teach us about our own character and our own nature and how we interact with others in God's creation around the table of fellowship. It's just a story like that that we're going to read this morning in the seventh chapter of the book of Luke. If you happen to have your Bibles with you or you have your phone and you want to follow along, I want to encourage you to open to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. 
And as we prepare to read that story, there are a few things I think we need to be aware of that will help set the stage for our understanding. When we come into Luke chapter 7, Luke, the author of this longest of the Gospels in the New Testament, brings together three key themes or three key elements uh, from throughout not only the New Testament, but specifically in his Gospel, and that is food, Pharisees, and forgiveness. We're going to find that Luke is going to tell us a story about Jesus that also contains a story that is a parable, and at the center of this story is food, the Pharisees, and forgiveness. It's interesting, if you were to take your concordance or if you were to read Luke's gospel from beginning to end, uh, which I would encourage you to do, to look for some of these key ideas that are repeated throughout his gospel because he's trying to draw our attention to them to teach us about God. It might surprise you that there is no book of the New Testament that talks about eating more than the Gospel of Luke. And that is not without reason. Jesus has a number of powerful stories that he's trying to tell to us to teach us about himself that take place in the context of eating. And Luke's Gospel records that more than anyone. Luke also tells us more stories about the Pharisees than any other book in the New Testament with the exception of Matthew. And Luke tells us more about forgiveness than any other book of the New Testament. If you want to know what it means to be forgiven of your sins by God through Jesus Christ, the best place in my mind that you could start is to read the book of Luke because forgiveness is everywhere. And Luke takes these three critical themes, this idea of food and eating, the Pharisees and forgiveness, and he pulls them together in one single story here in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Now, of those three elements, I think uh, of the three, food and forgiveness are probably the easiest for us to understand because we're all human and we engage in those activities on a daily basis, or at least I hope that we engage in those activities on a daily basis. Of the three, perhaps the most uh, difficult one for us to understand is the idea of the Pharisee because we don't have Pharisees in the modern-day world. They don't exist in Jewish culture as they did in the ancient world, and they certainly don't exist in Christian culture or in secular culture. So I think it'll be helpful for us to just take a moment to get an overview of who the Pharisees are so that as we come into this story, we get a better idea of what we're faced with. Now, there are hundreds of things that we could know about the Pharisees, but in general, it's important for us to know that the Pharisees were a religious and political group of leaders that existed in the time of Jesus. They were the rulers of the synagogues and in the political spectrum of the people of Israel, uh, although there were a number of different political groups, the Pharisees would have been considered on the more conservative side of Jewish political leadership. They were not the most ultra-conservative, but they were certainly conservative. They believed in the faithful practice of the Mosaic Law, and in faithfully practicing the Mosaic Law, what we find about the Pharisees that is important for our story today is their eating habits. The Pharisees believed that their meals should be as holy and as pure as the mealtime rituals that took place in the temple in Jerusalem. 
And so Pharisees would not just sit down and eat meals with any old person because there were sinners in the world, don't you know? And the Pharisees did not want to be defiled. They did not want to be made unclean by sharing a meal with a sinner who might somehow stain them and make it so that they could not worship in the synagogue or in the temple. We're going to see that the eating habits of the Pharisees will play an important role in this story of forgiveness as we come into Luke chapter 7. We're also going to find that in this story of the Pharisees' eating habits, Jesus is going to tell a story within a story, and it's called a parable. Now, most of you, if you've grown up in the church or you've been in the church for any length of time, have probably heard this word parable used. And if you go out and you were to Google what is a parable or you were to look it up on your phone, even as I speak, you would probably find hundreds of different, different definitions online. And for the most part, they would all be wrong. I hate to say it, but that's the nature of the internet. You can't believe everything you read. If that's the first time you're hearing this, I'm, I'm really sorry. But it will be important for us to also know what parables are as we come into this story about food pharisees and forgiveness you see parables were told by prophets in the old testament and told primarily by jesus in the new testament for the purpose of announcing judgment on people who would not acknowledge their own sinfulness see every parable you read in the new testament especially exists to try to point out to people that you're not quite as good as you think that you are and this is a real problem that we have in the world among us sinners. And by the way, from the time that Adam and Eve reached out and ate of the forbidden fruit up until today and up until the Lord comes again, every single person who walks upon the earth is a sinner. And if there's one truth that exists about sinners, it's that we don't like to acknowledge our sin. When we are faced with our own sin and when we are confronted with sin, we often engage in what counselors and psychologists will call ego defense mechanisms. When someone points out our sin and our wrongdoing to us, we try to deflect away from that sin. We try to place the blame on someone else. We try to deny that we have sinned. Or, if you look around at some of the people that exist in our world today, they don't deny that they have sinned. They simply deny the reality of sin at all. Because if there is no God, there's no such thing as sin. I can do whatever I want. See, the point of the parable is to tell a metaphorical story in the context of real life to try to get the sinner to finally see and acknowledge their own sin. And if they won't do it, to judge that person hard-heartedness. So there is a word of encouragement and a word of warning in every parable. The encouragement is, if you will accept the message that is within that parable, forgiveness and repentance are right within your grasp. But the word of warning is, if you refuse to heed the words of the parable, God does not look lightly on sin. So now that we have this little bit of background about the Pharisees and about parables, 
I want us to look at this story within a story in Luke chapter 7. Would you follow along with me, if you will? And by the way, as we're following along, reading is important, and I always want to encourage you to read the Bible. But one of the things about parables is that parables were meant to be heard. They were stories that were meant to come from someone's mouth into someone else's ear and to prick the heart. And so as we read this morning, you can follow along if you want, but I want your ears to be sensitive to the language and to the words, to the comparative stories that are taking place here. And I want you to hear what it is that Jesus is trying to say. It says, Now one of the Pharisees invited invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and so he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, and she kissed them, and she poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said, to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One of them owed 500 denarii, that is about a year or two's worth of wages, and the other owed 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them do you think will love him more? Simon the Pharisee replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Some versions of the Bible say, Simon, look at her. Look at her. Actually see her. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus I might note, ignoring the crowd, said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When you read the Gospel of Luke, you find out a lot about people's eating habits. You'll find that the Pharisees did not like to eat with sinners as we have in this story. But if you were to read the Gospel of Luke from front to back, and I encourage you to do that, you would discover that the Gospel of Luke tells us something repeatedly about Jesus. In fact, it tells us at least three times about Jesus' eating habits. And the focus of Jesus' eating habits are not on what he eats. It's not necessarily on when he eats. 
but it's with whom he eats. Because the Gospel of Luke tells us repeatedly that Jesus Christ eats with tax collectors and sinners. You see, if the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus Christ eats with tax collectors and sinners, but the Bible and other historical records also tell us that Pharisees don't eat with tax collectors and sinners, you can see that we're about to have a collision course for conflict on our hands. For a man who refuses to eat with tax collectors and sinners has just invited another man who loves to eat with tax collectors and sinners into his home for a meal, And the Pharisee who doesn't like to eat with sinners did not invite a woman who was a sinner but showed up at the meal. You could probably find a little bit of humor in this if it weren't for the seriousness of the situation. There's going to be a problem here. But Jesus doesn't really see it as a problem, but it's a real problem for the Pharisee because, you remember, the Bible repeatedly tells us that Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, right? It's important for us to have that established in our mind. Because when Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to eat with him, and Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, that means that Simon the Pharisee is one of two things. He's a tax collector, or he's a sinner. And the Gospel of Luke makes it pretty clear that Simon the Pharisee is not a tax collector, and so that must mean he's a sinner. So Jesus is going to eat at the house of a sinner who doesn't really think that he's a sinner and he's going to see a woman who is a sinner to try to convince Simon of his own sin. There's going to be a conflict here. But I also want you to know when we're talking about Jesus' eating habits and why he eats with tax collectors and sinners, It's why he eats with tax collectors and sinners that becomes so important. Jesus doesn't just eat with tax collectors and sinners because he thinks it's the cool and the ethical and the woke kind of thing to do in his political culture. That's not the point of it at all. In fact, if you were to read Luke chapter 5, verse 32, people actually asked Jesus that very question. Jesus, why do you eat with people like this? They're not really our kind of people, you see. And Jesus says, I eat with them because I have not called to come the righteous, to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. Jesus, the Messiah, God in human flesh, has come on a mission, and that is to call sinners to repentance so that they might receive the forgiveness of God and have eternal life. It's the clearest message of the gospel in all the Bible, and it's all throughout Luke. And it's not just Jesus' mission, it's the church's mission. For at the end of the Gospel of Luke, before Jesus ascends back into the heaven at the right hand of the Father, He says to His disciples, you need to go out into all the world and you need to preach this message of repentance so that people might have forgiveness and receive eternal life. Any church that is not focused on preaching repentance to sinners and offering the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers is not carrying out the mission of Jesus. And the Gospel of Luke makes that very clear. Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners because He wants to call tax collectors and sinners to repentance. But you'll notice in this story 
It's not the sinful woman who needs the call to repentance. She never once says a word. The text doesn't record anything that she says. It only records her actions. And it's her tears and her wiping of Jesus' feet with her hair and her anointing of him with alabaster perfume. All of these things lead us to believe that in her heart she is broken by her own sinfulness. And she comes to the only one who can redeem her from her sinfulness. And that is Jesus Christ. Now, the real problem in this story is that Simon the Pharisee, the sinner who has invited Jesus, doesn't see himself as a sinner. In his own heart, the story tells us his own thoughts. In his own heart, it's very easy for him to look at the other woman and to go, that woman, she's a sinner. But it's very difficult for him to see himself in his own eyes. And so, there's not just a conflict that takes place between Jesus and the Pharisee regarding their eating habits. There's a conflict that takes place here between Jesus and the Pharisee regarding their perceptions of the Pharisee. For you see, Jesus perceives him correctly and understands that everyone is a sinner in need of repentance, but the Pharisee refuses to see it in his own heart. Now, in fairness to Simon the Pharisee, if in fact that's what we're trying to to get at, Simon is not alone in his inability to see his own sinfulness. See, in the story immediately preceding the one that we have just read, we learn that throughout the, the, the opening chapters of Luke's gospel, people from all society, uh, all walks uh, of um, life and, and all classes of society are coming to John the Baptist and they are being baptized for the repentance and forgiveness of their sin. They're, they've repented, they've said, John, please baptize us. But Luke's gospel tells us that there's one group of people that refuses to be baptized for repentance and that is the group of the Pharisees. It says here in John chapter 7, verses 29 and 30, that all of the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. See, the Pharisees refused to go and and submit to a baptism of repentance because they saw themselves as the holiest of the holy and they did not believe they needed to repent of their sin. And that's going to lead Jesus into conflict with the Pharisee. I want you to notice, Jesus turns to the woman and he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. You remember I said that the purpose of a parable is to confront people in their sin. People who refuse to acknowledge their sin. People who are blind to their sin. The parable is this metaphorical story tried, uh, uh, told to try to ensnare and trap somebody into seeing themselves for who they really are. And from the moment Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you, Simon's going to be in trouble. Because Jesus tells him a story about two men who have a great deal of debt, one far more than the other, neither of whom can repay the debt. 
but both of whom are forgiven by the moneylender. And he says to Simon, now which of these two do you think will love the master more? You notice that the Pharisee judges correctly. Why, of course, the one who has the most debt forgiven is going to love him more. And in that moment, I have to wonder if Simon the Pharisee had a light go off in his head and realized that woman who is kneeling at the feet of Jesus, weeping, wetting his feet with her tears, drying his feet with her hair, anointing his feet with this expensive perfume, she is the one who has had this great amount of sin forgiven. The text doesn't indicate to us that even in the midst of the parable that the Pharisee had any idea that he had just walked in to a trap. For the Pharisee was very able to judge the story correctly, except that he could not judge himself correctly. I want you to know that as we look at this story today, it isn't just what parables are that should be important to us. It's how parables work that should be important to us. You see, parables are bear traps. This is what I tell my students when I teach uh, for TCM. Parables are bear traps. And if you've ever seen those old uh, spring bear traps that have the teeth on them, those old trappers used to have to pull those traps open and they would set those teeth wide open and they they would put a little spring on them. So that the moment the bear stepped into that trap, it would trigger the spring and that trap would slam closed on their leg. You know, you've ever used one of those old foot traps, whether it be for bear or anything else that you might be trapping. I I hear fur trapping is still quite popular here in the north part of Minnesota. But if you've ever used one of those traps, you realize that it's not as easy as it looks. You set that trap and you put it outside and you're hoping to catch an animal in it and then you realize that animals walk miles and miles and miles every day. A bear can walk up to 15 miles a day in search of food and you put a small trap outside and you're expecting a bear to put his relatively small foot in that relatively small trap somewhere in the span of 15 miles that he could wander anywhere? How do you get the bear to actually put his foot in the trap? Well, you have to bait the trap. And so you see that a lot of trappers will set that trap and they'll put it on the ground and they'll cover it up with grass so that the bear can't see it. But right above the trap, usually hanging from a tree branch, they're going to hang a very large piece of meat. A nice, rotten, smelling piece of steak. So that that bear, who can smell food from over two miles away, suddenly gets the scent of that meat in his nose and he begins to find his way toward the meat. And as he comes in, he never once looks down at the trap. He's always got his head up, distracted and fixated on the meat until it's too late. And he puts his foot in that trap And his fate is decided, and death comes for him. And that is exactly how the parables of the Bible work. 
These are traps that have been laid to try to convince people of their sin and they're deliciously baited to try to distract those people because if directly confronted, they would deny their sin altogether. But the the bait has been hung and the trap has been set here for the Pharisee and he foolishly and arrogantly walks right into the trap, condemning himself and freeing the woman in the same way that Jesus does. For this woman, whose sins were great, was forgiven a great deal, and her love for Jesus is obvious because she understood who she was in the presence of a holy and almighty God. But this Pharisee, this Pharisee refused to acknowledge his own sin and therefore stepped into the trap, and I dare say condemned himself You notice it's not Jesus who pronounces any judgment at all. The Pharisee judges himself as the one who loves very little. Now it's probably very easy for us to look at that story and to go, of course, we understand the sinful woman is the one who loved Jesus more and she's the one who has been forgiven the greater debt and the Pharisee is the one who is forgiven a little and he loves Jesus very little and it's easy for us to see that but here's where the parable's trap has been laid for us. For you see, that story was told for Simon, it was told for the disciples, it was told for the sinful woman but it was told for every person who would hear it and read it from then until the end of time and that includes us. For you see, maybe this story shines a light on our own eating habits as well. Or more importantly, it shines a light on our own sinful habits in the way we think about other people. See, I can tell you from experience that I have preached in churches and I have have ministered in churches and I've been a member in churches where there have been people who refused to come into our church because of the type of people that we chose to forgive. I have been a part of Marion Road Christian Church long enough to know that there are people who refuse to darken the doors of this church building because they don't like some of the people that we have chosen to forgive. And it's easy for me to look at those situations and go, boy, those people, they're the ones who need the judgment. But as soon as we start looking at other people, as soon as we start looking at stories that we think are obvious, we'd better look down. Because the bait has been hung and the trap has been laid. And more often than not, when we read the parable, we're the ones standing with our foot in the trap. How do you see yourself this morning when it comes to sin? Have you ever found yourself looking at someone else going, boy, those people... They're the sinners who need Jesus. Have you ever found yourself thinking to yourself, Mom, I'm really glad I'm not like those people. Those unwashed, impure, dirty sinners. Because I can tell you I have. I may not have had that thought while I was sitting in this building. 
but I can recall at least one or two times when I was sitting in a bus stop in Dublin, Ireland, when I was trying to go to school over there, and I was confronted with some social issues that I've never been confronted with before, and I'm sitting there waiting for my train, waiting for my bus, and here comes a group of people, and I thought to myself, oh, Lord, am I glad I'm not them. And I should have looked down because I'm pretty confident that after that I was walking with a very pronounced limp as the trap of Jesus was sprung around my own leg. The clearest message in all of the Bible is that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but he came to call sinners to repentance. And all of us are sinners. There isn't a one of us who is healthy enough that we don't need Dr. Jesus. Question is, do you have the same perception of yourself that Jesus has of you today? Be careful how you answer. Be very careful. Because a trap has been laid and the bait has been hung.